You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, we come before you now and ask God that as we open your word that you would indeed speak to us in a mighty way as we meet with you, a living God, this morning. Transform our hearts into your likeness, for it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. I want to pick up our gospel passage today, Luke chapter 17. Um, what is often the case, uh, and this is not really a dig on our lectionary, but sometimes a lectionary will drop us in the middle of something, and we kind of go, whoa, how did we get there? Uh, and so I think it's important to kind of look at what is Jesus talking about in Luke chapter 17 this morning. Uh, as we pick up in verse 5, he tells them to have more faith, but there seems to be no context for that other than just kind of talking to the disciples and saying, have faith. And so the first few verses I want to look at, the first, uh, just to kind of give you context here, verses 1 through 4, what is Jesus just setting, setting the stage for uh, to talk about faith in the disciples? First, Jesus deals with the problem of temptation in the first verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17, he talks about stumbling blocks. He's saying stumbling blocks to the faith. Now, that could be uh, financial, that could be sexual, that could be persecution, that could be false teaching, that could be behavior by established believers that could be misinterpreted by new believers to their detriment, uh, which 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that. And the penalty, Jesus is saying, for this misconduct, he says, is worse than sudden death. And so he's just let off with temptation and, and fleeing from temptation. And then secondly, in verses 3 and 4, he balances this judgment of temptation with grace by addressing the way that we should deal with people who hurt us. We're to rebuke the offender, he says, and if there is repentance, we forgive. And he would say it's more of a must, a command. We must forgive them. The requirement for forgiveness is absolute. Now, that, that means that we can't come back later and go, well, I know I forgave you, but I'm still holding on to that. And so he's, he's telling the disciples, forgiveness of our sins, for we ourselves are also forgiven. forgiven. And so uh, this is, this is, these are the two things that, that Jesus begins with before he gets to increase your faith. Now, that forgiveness one, I want to hold on to that for just a minute. Uh, there was a story or a, a trial back in 2018, maybe you remembered it, made national news of a former Dallas police officer named Amber Geiger. She was on trial for killing Botham Jean. And what really rattled the media as she was on trial and all the things were coming out, she would be convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. But what really rattled them was that when the brother of the deceased took the stand, and he said these words, I don't even want you to go to jail. I just want you to give your life to Jesus. I forgive you and I know God will forgive you if you ask him. He would go on to say, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad upon you. The call to forgive resonated throughout the social media world as the act was labeled true Christianity. After receiving the sentence of imprisonment, he embraced the woman who killed his brother. Now that would be one of the most difficult acts, I think, of forgiveness that you may ever be called to carry out. And that's where we kind of find ourselves with the disciples. Jesus is saying, no matter what the hurt is, 
no matter what the, the, the sin that's been done against you, there's a call to forgive. And so that's a big deal, and that's why it's such a big deal when we pick up in verse 5 today. Because then Jesus says to the apostle, or the apostles say to Jesus, increase our faith. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? He's just told them the story of forgiveness and temptation. And so now they're saying, we don't have the faith to be able to do that. We don't have the ability, Jesus, to be able to do what you're telling us we need to be able to do. This requirement is too much. Increase our faith. And then in verse 6, the Lord says, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you would tell the sycamore tree, be uprooted, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Increase our faith, they say. The demands of verses 1 through 4 are harsh, and the disciples wonder, how can they ever meet those demands? They recognize faith is a gift from God, and they ask, God, increase our faith. Jesus, give us more faith. They prepare themselves to receive it, but ultimately God is the one to give it. In this gospel, faith has been mentioned five times. These all relate to faith, to faithful behavior. So the disciples uh, might be asking Jesus, help us remain faithful. And then Jesus, of course, says, if you had, a faith, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. It's tiny. I mean, it's little bitty. And so Jesus is not actually requiring much. He's saying, if you just have a little bitty bit of this mustard seed, this mustard seed faith, the smallest, one of the smallest of all the seeds, he chose the tiniest seed, and then he contrasted it with the giant sycamore tree. As he said, if you just have the smallest of faith, you can move the giant tree into the ocean, and it will happen. Now he's using a bit of hyperbole here, I think, to demonstrate the great power of the smallest bit of faith. It's the same kind of exaggerated language that Jesus would use when he says, the camel going through the eye of a needle. We get the idea, we know what it means, but it seems so preposterous, right? That this little bitty bit of faith would be enough to move a tree. He would later say that little faith could also move a mountain. Is Jesus suggesting to the disciples that they have faith or they don't have faith? Well, most scholars would say that we have to base it off of what Matthew says in his very similar recording of this, that, that they probably didn't have the faith that they that was required to move a tree. They didn't have it yet. Jesus is saying, this is what you need to be striving for. And in time, we would see that the disciples would have this. When Jesus was resurrected, and then when he would go to heaven, then their faith would be increased. They would begin to do things that were unbelievable. And they would have the faith to heal, the faith to proclaim the gospel, the faith to stand in the face of persecution but what Jesus is telling them here is your faith is growing. And the more you walk with me and the more you see me do the things that I'm doing, the more you hear me teach the things that I'm teaching, your faith will indeed increase. But the required faith is faith in God. It's faith in Jesus, he would say. It's faith in me, not a faith in ourself. That's what the disciples would struggle with. Where can we, can, can we sit at the right hand can we sit at your right and your left, Jesus? Give us a little bit of that, Jesus, because we ourselves are good enough. It was not the faith of self. 
It wasn't the faith of money. It wasn't the faith of weapons or power or people. The power behind the faith that Jesus would speak of, mentioning here to the disciples, is the faith that God allows us to have. It's the power that he gives us. And in this season of stewardship, did you know we're in the season of stewardship? Maybe you missed that. We're in a season of stewardship. In the season of stewardship, I think it's important to understand that left to my own strength, and this is me personally, left to my own strength, I'll find somewhere else to write that check because I think it needs to be over here instead of giving it to the Lord. And so, Lord, increase my faith. Left to my own desires, I'll choose to be lazy instead of go and serve. Left to my own will, I'll convince myself that someone else will surely tell that lost person about Jesus. I'll just give it time. Surely God wouldn't be calling me to do that. And it's in those moments that we pray, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith in you that I may be obedient to your call and give my resources for the glory of your kingdom. It is with that faith, Jesus says, you'll tell the sycamore tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. Matthew's version, the more familiar version one, speaks of moving the mountain, as I've already said, instead of uprooting a tree. In Luke's version, Jesus speaks of uprooting this sycamore tree, probably the largest of the mulberry trees, and planting it in the sea. And the point of that faith, even in small quantities, it has great power. The person of faith taps into God's power, which makes all things possible, even moving trees. Have you ever moved a tree before? You ever tried to move a tree? Have you ever tried to cut down a tree before? I did this. I took on this experience a couple, uh, it's about a year ago. I had a tree in my front yard. All the roots were coming up and it was, it was digging. The grass wasn't growing. And you know, I got a quote to cut it down and I thought, oh, I can do that. I don't need those guys. And so sure enough, I, I embark on cutting down this giant tree in my front yard And I would go two or three branches at a time. I'd cut them down, take them to the road. Then the big claw would come by and pick them up. And then the next weekend, I'd cut down a few more. And the the branches would get bigger and bigger to the point at one point, I'm up on a, a ladder. Praise God, my wife didn't see this part, but I'm up on a ladder. Davis is out with me. We're cutting down the big branch and it, it springs back. I jump off the ladder to save my life. Fortunately, I wasn't that far in the air. But I eventually, like, it, you just see the dwindling of this tree get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I get to a point where I have to say, I can't do any more. I don't have any way of getting the roots up. I don't have any way of moving this. I don't have a, a, a root removal. I don't have any kind of stump grinder or anything like that to do this. So this is no small feat that Jesus is saying with a little bit of faith. Now you might be saying, well, you should have just prayed. Maybe the tree would move. Oh, I prayed many times, trust me. But this faith that Jesus speaks of here, these small quantities of faith, it is our faith that works wonders. But the God who stands behind our faith is the, is the God of wonders. Our faith then is like a, a $20 bill. If I hold up a $20 bill and it's printed on paper, it's only worth like a penny. But a bill has value because it's backed in full by the credit of the government, and therefore it makes it a $20 bill. So also is our faith. It has value only because God blesses the faith and empowers the faithful. 
And Jesus will nudge his disciples along one step at a time. But only after the resurrection will they have this great faith and great power. So you may be asking, how do I get that faith? How, where do I get it? What, how do I, I want some of that, Jesus. The disciples had it right. Faith is the gift of God. And so we pray, God, will you increase our faith? Time spent in prayer is fundamental to faith development. But there's also other things that we can do to cooperate with God who wants to increase our faith. The scripture informs and corrects our faith. Without the guidance of the scripture, we tend to have faith in something much smaller than God. We put our faith in money. We put our faith in a charismatic person. We put our faith in the government, something that will ultimately always disappoint us. But the scriptures keep drawing us to the God who is greater so that we can develop the kind of powerful faith of which Jesus speaks of here. We grow in faith as we act in faith. Every gift of God is strengthened when we exercise it. And this is true of faith as well. I will often be teaching folks when they say, how do I hear the voice of God? And I say, when you hear it, you answer, you respond to it, and then you'll hear it more. And then you'll hear it more and more because you get familiar with that still small voice. Faith being strengthened, living out our faith, acting in, in, in our faith, excuse me, strengthens our faith. We have limited visions as believers we can't see the end sometimes. You have to think about the early Christians who were dying on crosses alongside the roads or in Colosseums, but yet they were acting in faith. And for some, they may have felt like God had betrayed their faith, but we can look back now and see that their blood was not shed in vain, but instead because the measure that, pro that promoted the church's strong growth. Faith means believing, even when the outcomes seems in doubt. It's stepping out and saying, God, I'm going to trust you because this is what you're calling me to do. And then finally, Jesus wraps this up here with this little small parable. He tells a parable that helps the disciples to understand their high calling. The expectations are high. Nothing that we can do can be considered to be above and beyond the call of duty in verse 7 through 10. He, said, he speaks of the servant he ends his faith talk with the parable of the underappreciated servant. That's my title, by the way. That, that's not on there. But the master has a servant or a slave who works both in the fields and in the master's house. And it would seem fair that after the servant has worked all day in the fields for the master to fix him dinner. Instead, the servant prepares the master's dinner, cleans up the table, and only then does he tend to his own needs. This parable can be difficult for some reasons. First, I've read in some commentaries that some say that this would be as though Jesus were approving slavery of some sort. Second, that it seems uncaring and unfair. And third, that it's not our experience. We're accustomed to rewarding faithful employees or being rewarded, lest they find a more generous employer or lest we find another job. The story, however, doesn't commend slavery any more than the parable of the Good Samaritan commends robbery. It simply uses a situation common in Jesus' day to illustrate a spiritual truth, that our relationship to God is based on grace rather than works. It's grace. 
And so that grace is even when we fail in our small mustard seed faith, when we don't follow as Jesus has called us to go, that his grace is still sufficient for us. This can be hard, but an important reality for us to grasp. The Christian life is often difficult. We're tempted to feel that God has abandoned us or that we're being punished in some way sometimes. But once we've adopted the attitude described in this parable, we meet the most severe temptations that come in our Christian work. And Jesus modeled what it looked like, when we, what we are to do when we face those consequences. When we face those temptations, Jesus modeled the act of servant ministry to which he calls us to. He came to earth, not in Rome, but in Nazareth. Not with a silver spoon in his mouth, but in a feeding trough, in a cradle. But in a time, not in a time when he could address the world on television or communicate through Facebook or Instagram and tell people who he was, but no, communication was limited to the reach of his voice. And he came not to sit on a throne, but to hang on a cross for our sake. And if we quarrel with the demands of discipleship, we must address our objections to the one who has modeled that kind of sacrifice that he asked us to make for him. The point is not that God does not reward obedience, but that our obedience never puts God in our debt. Our obedience to serve the Lord and not serve self not serve money, not serve other people, but to serve the Lord. Our salvation is therefore always dependent on God's grace, God's undeserving favor, his gift that he gives to us. We stand in need of it, this grace, every day. One of my favorite phrases is, God, I need your grace more today than I did yesterday, and I'm going to need it more tomorrow than I do today. We need his grace each day. We would be supremely foolish to stand before God at judgment day and request that we be judged on the basis of justice instead of grace. And so today, the call that Jesus is giving the disciples and I believe the call that he's giving us in faith is trusting in the almighty God to work in and through us and knowing that in those moments when faith needs increasing and we fall short of the call of God, his God and God's love continues to be unwavering. His grace is sufficient. His mercy abounds much. So that we would pray, God, increase our faith today. Let us pray. Lord, we like the disciples would say, we lack faith at times especially when it comes to these temptations that he's just spoken of and the, the hardships that come, the forgiveness that is needed to follow after you, the forgiveness that you've given us that, Lord, you call us to give others. And it's hard and it's difficult. God, it's hard sometimes to even uh, sacrifice the things that you have given us. Sacrifice our, our finances to go to the support of the kingdom of God and what that looks like. And so, Lord, today we ask that you increase our faith. And admittedly, Lord, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that means exactly. But, God, we do know that it means that, that we press into you as you increase our faith. And, Lord, 
as your scriptures have said, would you deal graciously with us when we fall short? Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at Advent Birmingham.